Hey friends, this is Jack Nemesheim, co-host of Denison Uncut's Dig Deep Podcast. If you may recall, in December 2022, so this previous winter, we released our first episode featuring Akin Abayade Cole. Akin is now a sophomore and he sprints for the men's track and field team here at Denison. After about a month or so, we sat down and got a second interview in with Kalia Bennett. Kalia is a sprinter on the women's track and field team here at Denison. But unfortunately, due to some logistics and staffing issues that we were struggling with, we never got that published. Now, with all sorts of things sorted out and a fresh semester ahead of us, we decided it was time to go ahead and publish our conversation with Kalia. Before we get started, you'll hear from Kalia in just a minute. I would like to give a quick shout out to Emma Anderson, who has taken on the role of audio editor with Denison Uncut. He was able to turn the story around very quickly, and we appreciate his efforts. Thanks, and enjoy the listen. Hello, everybody, and thanks for tuning in to Season 2, Episode 2 of the Uncut Dig Deep Podcast. I'm Annalinda Ortiz-Tarosa, here with my co-host, Jack Nemesheim. Today, you'll hear from Kalia Bennett, a junior sprinter on the Denison women's track and field team. Kalia is excited to share her story about facing discrimination on the track. Kalia, tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself. Where are you from? What are you studying at Denison? And what track and field events do you participate in? Well, thank you, Anna and Jack, for having me. Um, My name is Kalia Bennett. I run women's track and field. I'm a hurdler and a sprinter. Um, I have two hometowns. I was born in Greenbrier County, West Virginia, and then moved to Richmond, Virginia. So I don't choose between the two. Both of them have a place in my heart. Um, I study black studies in journalism, so I'm a double major. And yeah, a little bit about me. I don't think there's any need to sugarcoat it. You are a very talented runner. Can you talk about some of the college track offers you got coming out of high school and why, with all those prestigious offers, you ultimately ended up deciding to choose Denison University? Yeah, so um, in high school, it was either D1 or D3. I always told my coach there was no in-between, and I love all D2 schools, and I get me wrong. But um, my biggest offers were from Clemson University as well as Jacksonville University and a couple schools in Virginia, Washington and Lee. Even got an offer from Navy, which was quite interesting. But um, I chose Denison because the moment that I visited, I fell in love with the team, the team positivity, as well as like the tight knit community that Denison had. So I was sold literally on my student perspective tour. I was sold. Even though the hill got to me, I really, I really <laughs> did enjoy being here. And then you said that you chose Denison from a community aspect. Did you feel that that was different with the track team here versus your track team in high school? Yeah, my track team in high school, it was a great, great team. Um, I think we just focused more on winning than, you know, building each other up, building team morale, um, really focusing on the team aspect. Now, I know they say track is not a team sport, which is true. It is an individual sport. And at the end of the day, you're there to run your own race. But it's still encouraging to have other people you know, come up to you and tell you, hey, you did well, or, you know, take constructive criticism from these people as well, you know. Um, and the coaches are awesome. They they care about you outside of the athletics. They care about you in your social life. They care about you, you know, your mental well-being. They care about all of that. They think of you as a human, then a student, then an athlete, which I think is awesome. Awesome. And on that note, what do you love about track, Leah? Oof. Uh, well, besides the running um, and the winning, I love exercising. I don't know. It's something about just getting my body moving. Um, I love 
the team that I've built here. I love the the teammates. I love our captains. Um, but I also love the runner's high. And I think it's a lot of people are like, how do you get a runner's high? I'm telling you, it is it is possible. It, it exists. It's um, it's awesome. It's an awesome feeling when you complete a workout and you know you crushed it. Or it's an even more awesome feeling when you can look forward to fixing something that you didn't necessarily crush in that workout. There's always room for improvement. And I think that's what I really enjoy about track. Now, I know, unfortunately, not all of your experiences on the track have been pleasant. Mm-hmm. Uh, would you be willing to share some of the stories about encountering racism throughout your running career yeah um it's definitely when you run collegiate track versus high school track versus uh aau track which if you know is just kind of like travel track just like there's a travel team for hockey lacrosse all of those um you meet different people and um i'd say a couple of the encounters i've had were not the best um from just moments where officials have, you know, kind of made comments about my hair, um, almost end up having our, my team DQ'd because I talked against the official about my hair. Um, just, you know, things like that. And it, was, it wasn't it was even a style that, you know, would get in my way. It was actually, I was wearing box braids. It was a protective style. So my hair was down, but it needed to be pulled back, which is really not really a rule in track, but apparently to this official, it was. So, um, you know, at the end of the day, didn't want to argue about it. I wanted to run my race, so I did what I was told. And, you know, it infuriated others around me more than it infuriated me, but that's saying something. And in addition to that, I think basically a lot of the times, a lot of the announcers don't know how to say my name correctly. And um, at first, you know, it, I tried not to speak on it because when you're getting a name sheet and you see a name that says Kalia, I'm pretty sure it's not the most ordinary name. So I could understand, you know, kind of having a couple mess ups over it. But um, it is about a respect thing. You know, you could just ask the coach, hey, how do you pronounce this runner's name? And my coach does a great job of giving a pronunciation sheet for all of his runners. So um, times like that, I used to kind of not talk about it, but now I correct anyone um, because it doesn't have to be a snappy correction. It's just, you know, it's my name, just like Jack and Anna. I'd say your names and if I said it wrong, y'all would correct me. So I, you know, that was something. <laughs> so obviously you talked about these challenges and how do you kind of step onto the line and complete a race when you're not always in like the right headspace? Cause track is so predominantly yeah. a mental game. Track, I'm glad you said that. Track is very much a mental game. Um, you. If you're not on your A game mentally, it will affect you. And I don't think a lot of people understand that. So when I do have these encounters, I try to kind of like remember why I'm here. You know, these announcers, these officials, they're not the reasons I'm here. They're not going to be the reasons I stop running. So I make sure I always just kind of like get rid of everything when I step up to that line, because anything that's on my mind, I will take that with me into the race. And I don't need that. I need, you know, to have my mind basically clear, honestly. You can't really clear your mind just like that. So it's, it's definitely practice. It's definitely the practice of meditation, kind of like being recentering yourself, especially after something like that just happens. There's been plenty of times where, you know, an official has kind of said something to me right before they say on your marks. And it's like, I have to be the bigger person and recenter myself because again, that official doesn't run my race. I run my race. So really just recentering and remembering while I'm there is kind of how I get back into the zone. As you draw on these experiences dealing with officials, I'm recalling now you told Anna and I a story about how 
you were once actually asked if you were on the correct team because yes. your team was predominantly white. Yes. Could you tell us a little bit about that yes. experience and some of the emotions you felt immediately before the race began, if I recall correctly? Yeah, so great memory. Um, this was definitely high school. Um, my team and I were lucky enough to attend pin relays. We were one of the fastest um, four by one teams in our state, which was an amazing experience. Um, it's my first time ever running as a freshman on a relay and then at pin relays. I, like that's like that's like the Olympics as a freshman, you know. So yeah, I was down in the pit, like on the track, um, and they kind of the announcers take you to your leg. So you know, your first leg they take you to a certain area, second leg they take you to a certain area. Um, and by this time, you're not with your teammates anymore; you're by yourself. And so um, as I was heading to my area, I was last leg. Um, I was questioned by an official. You know, they asked me like hey, like, what are you doing here? And I, you know, thought it was very obvious by, like, my jersey, my number, everything. I didn't know what I, like, I was looking around a little confused as myself because I didn't know they were talking to me. Um, and they had asked me if I was sure I was in the right area. And in that moment, I was kind of, like, more nervous about, like, just this encounter period than the intent of their question. So, I mean, at that moment, I'm just kind of frazzled, like, oh, wait, am I not in the right area? I'm like, no, I'm anchor. I run for collegiate. I run for this team. Like, no, I'm in the right area, right? And they're like, oh, okay. But um, the more, like, I think about it and when I talk to my coach about it, that that encounter should have never happened. And mind you, um, this was... The heat was full of teams that were mixed races, but my team was predominantly white. I was the only um, person of color on my team running that race. So um, after talking to my coach about it, my coach was livid, very livid. Um, they were more upset because I should not have encountered that, especially as a freshman. You know, no one should be asked, like, are you sure you're in the right place? Um, especially when there is so many obvious factors that were pointing to it. I had a, a card on my chest that said collegiate and said all the things that uh, were included in the race. And I was also wearing a uniform. And, you know, in a way, kind of like my coach kind of felt that it, it spoke to my incompetence because, you know, why else would I be there? So that was a time that was definitely, as I think more about it, I'm just like, I should have said something. But again, I was scared. I was a freshman. I didn't want to get my team DQ'd. I didn't want anything to go wrong. So I was just kind of just quiet, um, which kind of led me to like develop it my own voice after experiencing a couple instances like that. I had to had to speak for myself because my coach was not, as we can see, was not always going to be there. My teammates were not always going to be there. There was going to be moments where I had to talk to an official one-on-one -on -one and um, kind of defend myself or at least defend myself to my best abilities. And I know, Kalia, kind of going back to last year and the year before that, you struggled with injury. Yeah. <laughs> Can you kind of talk about the pressure that came along with not only track, but also being injured as an athlete? Yeah, I was always injured, to, to say the least. But um, I really faced my most serious injuries once I got to college. Um, it sucks, you know, not being able, especially we just had COVID, couldn't compete my senior year. Um, things were so up in the air with track with meets, dual meets, all of these things. Um, it sucked to say, going back to that, it really did suck. Mentally, it was probably one of my worst years. And it's hard being a freshman in college and you know, having to experience everything new than dealing with an injury. My mindset definitely got trampled just a little bit, got crushed, my spirit got crushed. Um, 
And the injury that I faced, I had broke my ankle, um, needed surgery. It's first for everything. First time getting surgery, first time breaking a bone. So it was really scary. And then again, I'm out of state. I'm from Virginia. I'm in a whole new state. I don't know how anything works. It's the first couple years of my adult life. So I, I was on pieces to say the least. But I think what I really focused on the most when recovering and doing rehab, I tried to tell myself it takes time, you know, patience is a virtue, not to rush anything. Of course, I was excited to get back. I was excited to see my teammates were doing things during the COVID years. They were, I mean, kicking butt and I was sitting on the sidelines and I had to wait for my turn. So I just had to continue to tell myself, be gentle with yourself, you know. It was good because my coaches weren't putting that pressure on me that I would have faced in high school. In high school, it would have been, when are you going to be ready? When do you think you're going to be ready? How do you feel? My coaches were really like, no, how do you feel? Like, where are you at? Where are you at in your head? Where do you feel? How does your body feel? Like, they were very much kind of like holding my hand through the process, which I really appreciated um, because you want to do these things on your own. You want to recover on your own. You want to, you know, get back. You never want to tell anybody how hurt you're feeling, you know. You want to tough it out, thug it out in a sense. And I had to allow myself the space and the grace to just say, okay, I'm not feeling the best today. Matter of fact, my ankle feels like crap. Like, I had to allow my, myself to say those things. And it's hard admitting you know you're not at your best. So I just remember to just take it one day at a time, literally put one foot in front of the other. And I apply that to so many other areas of my life, but like specifically during that time, that trivial time with that injury, I had to put one foot in front of the other. Clea, I know you face challenges race-related off the track as well. Mm -hmm. Traveling back in time a little bit, would you be willing to speak about how you ended up at a predominantly white high school and what it was like attending that school? Yeah, it was interesting again. I love this word, interesting. It's something about it because you can use it to describe an array of things. Mm -hmm. Um, I'd say attending that school was definitely a culture shock. I came from a very urban community, um, a community where I only saw people who looked like me talked a certain way, acted a certain way, you know, we weren't really prepared to, I guess, deal with the reality of the world. Um, once I got to collegiate, it was definitely a traditional school. And when I say traditional, there's no negative connotation to that. It's just, it's traditional to what a private school would look like. Um, very clicky. And I had to kind of situate myself you know I didn't want to lose a part of myself but I also didn't want to be ostracized at this school so um I definitely had a struggle my first year just trying to find my way find my way around friends find my way around um the academia all of those things but I'd say by like end of sophomore beginning of junior year I kind of realized you know like I don't need to change myself to fit in. In fact, that's what makes me, me. I didn't need to kind of like assimilate or fall in line to the traditions. That There were certain traditions, you know, you had to adhere to the school culture, which I did and was totally understandable. And if honestly, were probably like the best parts of my time there, you know, being able to hang out with these, um, with these girls that I've never hung out with before, being able to like be, be there in the moment. Um, I say going back to the culture shock part, it was just different. I'd have to go home and kind of like be in a whole different area or a whole different setting. Um, but the good thing was that I learned very quickly how to adapt. I learned very quickly. Um, and as bad as people, you know, want to make code switching, the code switching is, is an essential skill. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean, oh, 
going from talking black to talking white. It doesn't mean that. It simply means, you know, being aware of your surroundings, being aware of where you're at. There's a certain way you have to uphold yourself. You have to be proper in certain settings. And there's nothing wrong with that. You can't really put a color to that. So I learned that. That is one thing I learned while attending that school. Um, Also, just learn just like how to how to reveal myself. You know, a lot of people kind of get not going to say turned off or turned away from, but I have a very bold personality. Um, I'd like to think of myself as eccentric, I guess, but I'm very, very loud, to say the least. And I think Jack and Anna can both can both <laughs> attest to that. Um, but I have a very, like I said, vivid and bold personality. So you just got to know how to present yourself. You know, it's not taking away. It's not cutting down. It's not silencing. It's just how to test the waters with certain crowds. You know, not everyone's going to be receptive of a bold personality or someone who's able to speak their mind, speak their voice, use their voice. And then kind of on that community. So coming to Denison, how did you find community outside of track? I took a piece of President Weinberg's advice and put myself out there and in turn um, got a lot more, uh, got a lot more in return. I, I didn't feel the need to change anything. People were uh, immediately drawn to me. Um, I kind of surrounded myself with like-minded people. I joined organizations I've never thought of joining before. Um, I ran for Freshman Foundations President, which is a subcommittee of the Black Student Union. Never had ran for anything leadership-like in my life except for being elected or appointed as a, my high school's BSU group. So um, it was it was definitely, definitely a fun time, a very interesting time, but I was able to make friends. I was able to continue to be friends with these people to this day. Um, joined a sorority, have a lifeline of sisters now, um, a part of an organization that is really committed to servicing the people around us. Um, I just was able to do a lot. And I think what helped with that was, like I said, putting myself out there, not being afraid to kind of like make new friends, say hey to someone I've never seen before, talk to a teacher I've never seen before, talk to another person, ask for help. Um, I did that a lot my freshman year. Like I said, I was going through a lot mentally and physically. So asking for help was something I never, never really wanted to do, especially in high school. Don't want to ask for help in a place where, you know, they already kind of think you may need help in the first place. So I I had to learn that at the end of the day, it's not about nobody else but Kalia. And I know that sounds self-centered, but when you're trying to reach a certain level in your life, when you're trying to constantly put yourself in the best position that you can, you have to worry about yourself. Like that's just the first step with everything. So I think that's what really helped me get my social groups outside of track um, because I love my track team. Dearly, I really do. But I had to kind of like stop leaning on them so much and actually find friends of my own. So that was fun. So through all of the challenges you faced, you seem to be coming out on top continually, both on the track and in life in general, as you're kind of just touching on. What has track taught you about life that you can apply to these other parts of your life? That's like my favorite, favorite question, because with the track, track is a literal metaphor. Like everyone says, oh, you got to overcome this hurdle, got to overcome this obstacle. Not only do I actually overcome hurdles, but like I do have to apply that to my life. And I think the things I've learned from track discipline, for sure, um, being able to give yourself the motivation and not necessarily hear it from others because you are your biggest critic, but you're also your biggest motivator. You got to constantly remind yourself you're doing it for you. You're doing it for you. So I say track kind of taught me how to 
how to get to the levels that I needed to get to, what I needed to do to get there. Um, Cause it's not it's not explained as easily. Being an adult is not explained as easily. Being first gen with college is not explained easily. These are all things I had to learn on my own. So just having a discipline to choose that over the fun sometimes, choose that over you know the the FOMO, the fear of missing out on things. I had to learn how to get inside and study for a psych exam that I knew if I didn't study I would fail. Versus going out, you know. Those little things is kind of what track taught me. Also, track taught me to take care of myself, self-care. Like, you're constantly beating, bruising, hurting muscles you've probably never heard before by running. Sprinting is probably, like, the worst thing for your body. But I had to learn, you know, sleep. I need to get at least eight hours of sleep every day because even without the track, if I'm not my best, I can't function. If I'm running on four hours of sleep, I cannot function. I can't even say hello. So... I have something that I had to learn, um, whether it was, you know, nutrition intake. In addition to that, that was kind of something you had to learn. You got to feel your body. You have to feel your body. I mean, you have to. I was going from maybe eating twice a day. Like now I have to eat every three hours. So little things like that is what I kind of got in from track, but more on like the metaphorical aspect, life lessons. Um, track just taught me, you know, once track is over, like, I always had to ask myself, what am I going to do? What am I going to be? Because track has always been something that's a part of me. Um, and I think what it's taught me is that I it's given me the skills that I can survive without track. I can I can be somebody in this world without being someone who who's running. That part will never leave, but it's just taught me that, you know, everything I needed to know in order to succeed. Well, it's a perfect lead up into our next <laughs> question. So when it's time, as you said, to kind of like hang up the spikes, what's mm-hmm. next for Kalia Bennett? Oh, what is next for me? Uh, Law school is something I've kind of been going back and forth on, but I think I've just recently, uh, it's not something I've been going back and forth on. I always wanted to go to law school, but um, just like as far as like the six month plan right after college, um, thinking about paralegal certification first before I dive into law school. But on a more broader thing, you know, I've always wanted, I've always wanted to be a legal advocate. I've always wanted to help our legal system as well as help everyone who's affected by it um whether that's immigration law criminal defense attorney any of those things i've always just wanted to use my voice that i learned to use and use it for other people so that's really what i'm leaning towards my ultimate goal is to be a criminologist a retired criminologist that anyone can call on for testimony because i'm just fascinated with that line of work um but i really do just you know want to make the world a better place as corny as it sounds i really do i think you're already doing a nice job at that <laughs> thank you thank you clea thanks for your willingness to speak publicly about such hard topics we obviously know this takes a lot of courage so taking after our predecessors isa Contreras and freeman brew we like to end our interviews with some light-hearted silly happier questions and simpler hey. as well less Love complex it. <laughs> Mine is what is your favorite restaurant in Granville? In Granville, can we can we widen the scope just sure. a little bit? Columbus. Okay, thank you. Central oh, Ohio. I'll give Granville and Columbus. Okay. Granville, I would have to say the pub. The pub is pretty good. Um, I kind of knocked it a couple times, but each time I tried the same thing when I went down there, and so my friends were like. No, try something different. I'm like, okay, I try something different. I really, really, really love their chicken tenders and fries. It's really good. I know that's basic, but it's really good. And their <laughs> pasta. Um, in the Columbus area, 
I haven't really gotten to venture out like I wanted to, but I, I was fortunate enough to go to this place called The Eagle, which is really good. They have really good soul food. Um, the fried chicken is amazing. But what I really like the most is they have these bacon things it's called bake, like maple bacon, sizzling maple bacon. It's like black cracked pepper and maple on it. They're literally just oh, bacon. Really it's, just, it's good. It's good. <laughs> like, I go there for that. I don't really go there for the uh, entree. I go there for that appetizer. But that's, those are my two favorites. And uh, honorable mention, uh, Consuelas. That is a banging, 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 banging restaurant. I'm not familiar. Can you tell us about it? Okay, so Consuelas, I believe, is a cantina, a Mexican cantina. And they have these awesome, I mean, the chips come out fresh, oven-baked, fresh, hot. Salsa comes out. Salsa's not too watery, but not too chunky. It's like perfect. (laughs) And every time I go, I was never a fan of beans. I mean, refried, black, no, I take that back. I love like uh, baked beans, actually, a lot. Pinto, kidney, any of those kind of beans. But I tried refried beans for the first time. So good. It was so good. I think everything, everything on the plate was good, but, um, that was my first time trying it, and I was like, it kind of looked like paste, and I was like, what is this? And the waiter was like, it's going to be good, and I was like, okay, and it was. It was great. So, it's a nice little, it's off of High Street somewhere. That's all I can give you. I don't even know the exact address. <laughs> awesome, and then my question is, right before you step on that line, what song are you listening to on your playlist? Like, what's oh, your go-to pump-up song? Okay, I have a full playlist dedicated to... Uh, my workout is on Apple Music. I'm on Apple Music. Follow me at Kalia Bennett, and it's called Run. It's banging. But my favorite, like the first song that's going through my head. Dang, Anna, that's a hard question. Um. Okay, I'll do. Mm, sit next to me, Foster the People. Okay, I'll have to give it a listen. I haven't heard that one. You will. It's it's really good. It's not your typical pump up song, but um. I think I've always been a fan of Foster the People, like always. Their music is very, it can be a little controversial, but, but I will say that song specifically kind of like mellows me out. I love being hyped before a race, but I need that kind of like cool down. It just reminds me of kind of like driving along the road, the beach kind of passing by, just kind of like a nostalgic kind of song. And I promise y'all will feel the exact same way when y'all listen to it. So listen to it. It's really good. Okay. Thank you so much, Kalia, for tuning in. And thank you all our listeners for tuning in with us. We hope Kalia's story has impacted you in some way. Stay tuned for season two, episode three coming up. And signing off your co-hosts, Jack Nimashon and Ana Lindor Ortiz-DeRosa. Bye.